they're going to be paying anywhere from two grand to twenty two hundred a semester. But a lot of times we'll give those out of state guys baseball money on top of that. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you're doing well wherever you're listening to this podcast at. In this week's episode, we're talking junior college baseball. So I don't know if you remember, but a few months ago, we had John Watson on the podcast. And John is the head baseball coach at Chandler Gilbert Community College in Chandler, Arizona. And they're at the Division II junior college level. So it's interesting to get his take on junior college baseball and some of the rules um, at the at the Division II level for junior college. And then on this week, we have Eric Schoenrock on the podcast. And Eric is a Division I junior college head baseball coach. He's the head coach at Southwest Tennessee Community College. They're 34-13 and 13 as of recording the podcast this season. So they're very, very successful, very good program. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask him about, you know, what are what are some of the differences between the Division II and Division I level? And one of the differences is just solely where they play their their national tournament at. And then another one was just the scholarship money. And he, he gets into that at the ten, in, in Tennessee where he is. There's different rules where he can offer kids really good deals in state, but also out of state. He can make it extremely affordable too. So it's it's pretty interesting to be able to hear just from the tuition side of things. And then we also get into fall ball because there's no rules at all on how long teams can practice at the junior college level. So they play a, about 80 games from uh, if you combine the fall and the spring season in total. And then we talk about just from a development standpoint, what are some of the things that, that he sees at the junior college level that players should imp- need to improve upon and then what he emphasizes to his players. So it's really good stuff. Appreciate Eric coming on the podcast. Hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I appreciate everybody who's been going on to iTunes and Spotify and leaving a rating, five-star rating and writing review. That's awesome. And it really helps grow the show. That's why the downloads continue to grow. So if you haven't done that already, please head on over to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, and make sure to leave us a five-star review and write a short review. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hope you enjoy this episode. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my cram. All right, we now welcome on Eric Schoenrock. Eric, appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So obviously you're coaching, you know, you're a head baseball coach, junior college, which and you guys are off to a, a great start this year. Um, you know, you're the head coach at Southwest Tennessee Community College. And I'd say, I mean, would you say that you're in one of the best conferences in the country for junior college? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's some really, really depthy junior college conferences in, in Texas and Florida and, and California, you know, some of those other states. But I think that uh, if you look at us from top to bottom, we can compete with some of the best in the country as well. I mean, there's going to be uh, upwards of, you know, every every other year, there's upwards of like six teams that get, get ranks in the national polls and uh, it, it's a dogfight every weekend, man. So it's it's very competitive uh, weekend and week out. So you guys are, are Division One junior college, right? Right. And so that I, I guess I just want to clarify that because we've had on other coaches like John Watson, who is a coach at Chandler Gilbert Community College. They're Division Two, and so just trying to set the stage for all the, the listeners out there. So the difference between Division One JUCO and Division Two, like the biggest difference is. If you win, you like Division One goes to Grand Junction, and then Division Two doesn't. Is that right? Yeah, Division Two. I'm I'm 
pretty sure the the their national championship is it it may be in in Enid, Oklahoma, or uh, somewhere in Tennessee. Actually, I think East Tennessee. But yeah, us for the division one side of things, it's always in Grand Junction, Colorado, at the Colorado Rockies um, High Affiliate Stadium. What's the competition like in your conference? Yeah, so I mean, the way I describe it when I when I'm bringing recruits in and kind of explaining how our how we you know look at our, our schedule and, and our opponents uh, in our in our conference especially, um, you know, out, out of the three starters you're going to face on the mound, um, probably at least two of those guys are going to be uh, Division One arms, and then there's always going to be a couple Division One bullpen arms. So you're looking at three to four to five on average division one arms on every, every team. And then in the lineup, you know, anywhere from, from four to five division one hitters, you know, it's a lot of, especially last couple of years, the, the talent pool of junior college overall has been elevated drastically. And I think you see here recently, especially like there's, there's more division one caliber talent at our level. Um, and e- even the kids that aren't going division one these days, are still really, really good division two NAI players that get lots of experience while they're in junior college and get ready for that next level. And do you attribute the level of, of play just because of the transfer portal? The portal. So initially I think it was because of COVID, you know, with, um, you know, all the division ones, division twos, all those guys getting their years of eligibility back. So you saw that rosters were very old at that level and um, just kind of jam packed. So you saw more kids taking the junior college route. And then a couple of years ago when the transfer portal uh, got unleashed and, and that became a thing, uh, it's 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 really enhanced the the, the junior college uh, talent pool even more. I think just more kids are taking this route more than ever, and and just coming to junior college and, and waiting for some more uh, opportunities to to come available and you know opening more doors for themselves as as time goes forward. So I think some people would be interested to hear how the recruiting process works if if you, for one of your players, for example, on one on, on your team, like is it just hey they put up good numbers and then colleges start calling? How does how does that process work for the recruitment at the junior college level? Yeah, for us, that, that's the whole point of our guys being here. You know, uh, obviously we, we want to win games and be competitive on the field, but at the end of the day, the junior college experience, in my opinion, is all about development and advancement and, and trying to get our guys moved on to as many quality four-year schools as possible. And, you know, we take pride in that, man. We've had uh, – this is my sixth year here. In my first five years, we've had 55 guys time with four-year schools, had 22 Division One guys, and uh, wow. we're going to have upwards of 17 or 18 off this year's team alone. we got a very old roster. So – we put a big emphasis on it, and um, I think it starts in the fall. Like we play a very competitive fall schedule at a lot of the major recruiting sites. Uh, you know, we go up to to Grand Park up in Indianapolis. We go down to Hoover and play in Alabama. We actually host a big one at our stadium here. Um, we, we travel to Lipscomb and played our, our our big Tennessee one over over the fall. I think it starts there. I think you work your way on some recruiting boards in the fall, and then. Um, you know, in the spring, obviously the, the division ones, division twos, the schools that are coming out and watching, watching our guys play, uh, they're not getting a chance to do so as much as they did in the fall. So with, 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 you know, with them playing too. So I think they get, uh, our guys get on recruiting boards in the fall and then they, they just track, you know, stats in the spring and see if what they saw in the fall is matching up with production in the spring. And then, you know, obviously the grades are important too. So we stay on our guys about making sure they're on top of their academic side of things and, um, it all it all works together, man. But it, it it's fun, man. I, I really enjoy the recruiting process. Not only recruiting kids to come to school here, but helping our guys when they get here, you know, open more doors for themselves and elevate themselves to a to a hopefully a division one, division two, high caliber NAI type school. What would you say the percentage of players who leave after their freshman year versus their sophomore year? 
most of our guys will leave after their sophomore year. Some There's some coaches at our level that really want their guys, like they kind of mandate that they'll be there for two years. But for me, like I said, the, the number one goal for us is, is a development and advancement. So if our guys are ready after their freshman year and they have a school that's, that's contacting them and, and want them to come play after one year, like, I'm, I'm all for it. That, that's the whole point of them being here. So it happens occasionally if we have some freshmen that come in and absolutely dominate on the field or have some good stats or, you know, maybe make a big jump velocity-wise in the mound or something like that, it, it'll happen. But for the most part, I would say, like, out of the guys that leave our program, I would say 80 to 90% of them are here for two years. And, and you'll have the, the rare case of kids being really, really ready and having a great opportunity after one year as well. I know a lot of people are always, you know, they, they want to know, like, velocity. So – on on your staff right now, how many pitchers throw ninety plus? We've got four guys that are ninety plus. Two of them are starters. Um, you know, but for me, like, I, I don't I don't look at velocity as as the number one factor for getting on the field for us. Like, you got to be able to throw multiple pitches for strikes. And with how much velocity there is in the game these days, like even in high school and and, and coming up through those ranks. Kids these days are seeing velocity um, more, more consistently than ever, I think. You know, when I was growing up and playing, man, if, if a kid was throwing 90, that was pretty special. You know, when I graduated high school, what, I guess 12 years ago, you know. Yeah, you're getting drafted if you threw 90 back then. Yeah, it was, it was. you know, when I hit 90 in college when I was playing at Memphis, I thought that was a pretty big deal. And these days it just – it's it's happening everywhere, you know. So, um we put a more of an emphasis on being able to throw multiple pitches for strikes, um, being able to mix really well. And obviously we're trying to build that arm strength up and get the velocity going too. But um, we've had a lot of success. Like our, our number one arm this year is Colton Brumley. Uh, um, he's uh, he let, he was, he was third in the country innings pitch last year. He is leading the country in innings pitch this year, just a workhorse. And uh, he's a guy that throws from two slots. He's up to 92 over the top, but he kind of pitches from a, a low three quarter sidearm slot as well. And he's like 84, 88 from there. And he just really mixes really well. And so, um, you know, velocity wise, we've, we've got some guys that throw it pretty well, but the guys that have success for us and the guys that I've seen had success, especially in our conference are guys that can throw multiple pitches for strikes and throw them in any count. What about the guys who move on to the division one level? Like, are, are, do you find that most of those guys are the 90 plus guys? Um, at the bigger schools, yes. Cause you've got to have, you know, that, that little bit higher velocity, your, your, your margin for error is a little bit bigger when you get that, that higher velocity. Now uh, we've had some guys go to some um, smaller division ones that may be like 85, 88, but with some good movement. And those guys have had success there too. So I think that at the division one level, the velocity probably matters a little bit more um, for what caliber of school you're going to, but, you know, for us here, while they're here on campus with us, if they're throwing strikes, even if it's 82, 86, they're going to find a way to get guys out. And so, but yeah, to, to enhance your, your caliber of what school you want to go to, I think at a junior college, I think that it's important that that velocity is probably up there on, 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 on par with what you're seeing across the board in division one these days. Do you think the, the top junior college programs and like yourself and, and the others out there could beat some division one college baseball teams? Maybe in like a single game, you know, you see some high level, like we're, we're not on, uh, quite on the level of some of these top 10 junior colleges across the country right now. We're, we're kind of working our way up there. But I think any junior college, like we, we played some division ones in the fall, uh, just so that those division ones can see our guys up close and in person. And we'll hang in there. Uh, you know, we might, we might play a 14 inning, two, seven double headers and, and like, We'll hang in there for a little while, um, but I think the depth of the Division One eventually takes over. Like if you play in the spring against those guys, so we played against the Division One in a three-game series with, um, you know, especially with our with our like our kid, our kid Colton Brumley with him him on the mound. 
we'll be able to really compete for a game. But I think once you get to game two and game three and you get in the bullpen, uh, that's where the difference is, I think, at the level. So, yes and no. I mean, for maybe a single game, but for over a series, I don't know if there's any many junior colleges that are going to compete with some some at least mid-major Division One schools. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. How about like in terms of professional baseball? I mean, do you find that junior college is, is has been a route for players who who don't want to wait three years to get try to get drafted again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you see, I mean, here recently, the last couple of years, there's been some high picks in the draft that come straight from junior college. And obviously there's been some guys that have been in the big leagues for for eight to 10 years. You know, Bryce Harper was a Juco guy. And there, there, you look across the major league level there's there's a lot of guys that play junior college baseball so um there's kids that um come out of high school that probably have division one obviously obviously opportunities to go go play right away but um junior college you're able to get drafted after after one year you know so maybe a, a high school kid maybe needs to go to, to a junior college for you know one year maybe build that velocity up just enough to get drafted or or, or show some production with with the bat at the at the college level to get drafted so you see it it happens, um, but yeah, it can be a, definitely be a route for for kids that are pursuing uh, professional baseball. What, what's the scholarship percentages like at the junior college level? Like, what are you guys able to offer, and and how much does it cost tuition wise? Like, what's kind of the rundown on that? Yeah, so um, at, at the Division One level, you can have twenty four guys uh, on on letter of intent. So basically, twenty four guys on, on on athletic aid. For us, it's a little bit different in Tennessee. Uh, we have a thing called the Tennessee Promise Scholarship, where if you're a, uh, a kid from Tennessee and you get your high school diploma, if you go to any of the 10 junior colleges in Tennessee, uh, tuition is absolutely free for you. So that's a pretty uh, big selling point for us, especially for our in-state guys. Um, and then, you know, we've got a slotted like dollar amount that we're able to spend on on our roster each year that we can give those, you know, even the guys that are not having to pay for tuition, we can give those guys uh, a set amount of dollars to pay for housing or pay for some meals, or they can use that for books. Like they can kind of use it at their disposal. And then, we get um, eight out-of-state waivers uh, each year too, so our out-of-state tuition is a little, little little pricey compared to other states, I think. But we've got eight out-of-state waivers that we can use on, um, you know, some out-of-state guys that basically knock those out-of-state guys down to an in-state tuition rate. And uh, we've we've had a lot of success the last couple of years, but with our out-of-state guys, we kind of go all over for those, just finding the best fits for us. But um, definitely, you know that's a big selling point for us uh, at, at this level is, is just the cost of tuition uh, saves, saves you and your family some money. And, you know, don't have to worry about early on in, in college, having to take out any kind of student loans or anything like that. It's, it's pretty manageable financially. Yeah. Like what, what would you say? Obviously you said kids in state, it's going to be free, which is crazy. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. But out of state, what would you say the average kid pays per year? So um, it with, with no, um, additional money so we give them an out-of-state waiver they're going to be paying anywhere from two grand to 2200 a semester but a lot of times we'll give those out-of-state guys baseball money on top of that so we'll have uh you know they'll be down to two you know say they're down to 2200 for their tuition for that semester but we, we can give them 2200 of baseball uh scholarship on top of that to so it it kind of makes it where they're getting the same price as the in-state guys being free so we can make things really financially affordable like i said for, the, for, the, for them and their family and uh yeah like i said the out-of-state guys are important to us because there's a lot of good players that are especially up, up north we've, we've had a lot of success going north for players you know we've got a kid coming from iowa this this next fall our, our catcher this spring is from ontario canada like we kind of go north for for a lot of stuff and uh get those kids down here on a, on a, on a good price for them and their family 
Man, I tell you what, you save a lot of money going to junior college. <laughs> you do. I, if they would have had this Tennessee promise when I was coming out of high school, my mom would have said, "You're going to junior college for a year." <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a really cool cool deal that started about seven or eight years ago, and uh, the kids in Tennessee definitely take advantage of it. I think that's why you've seen recently over the last seven or eight years, like the talent pool has been elevated because of that as well. I mean, some parents are going, "You're going to junior college because we're not paying for for college for two years," you know, so. How do you guys go about identifying players that you said you, you like going north and you got a kid even from Canada this year? I mean, how do you see those players in person at some point, or is it just from trusted contacts? Most of our guys, like on this year's roster, have 32 players, and I think I saw 30 of them play before we signed them. You know, there's a couple – like obviously it was tough to see our kid from Canada play, but I've got a contact up there that I trust, and he sent us this kid. And then – um you know, I know you know Marcus Davis. He sent he sent us a, a kid from from Indiana up there that I never seen play, but he's played every day for us as a freshman. You know, so uh, but most of the time we identify guys by seeing them in person. Um, we played a place here called USA Stadium. Uh, it's it's a high level uh, JUCO facility, man. Like it was the home of Team USA in the eighties and nineties, so it was, it's got a lot of history to it. Um, recently, over the last four years, Perfect Game has came in and bought the facility, and there's actually. Uh, there's seven turf fields out here now. By the end of the summer, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be nine. So uh, they host a lot of high level um, events out here that we don't have to leave our facility to go recruit a lot. Like a lot of the wow. big time players are coming through, and and we get to see guys from all over the country coming and play here. And it's been a big advantage for us recruiting wise. Not only not having to spend a, a bunch of money to go travel and, and use a recruiting budget, but also to sell to the kids like you're going to play at a really nice facility when you're here and we've got our locker room here we just built a weight room here um so but the exposure side of things you know like obviously the kids from memphis and west tennessee we can but we were able to go see those guys in the spring a lot with our high school teams but in summer ball like pretty much i would say almost all of our guys that we have on our roster we have played uh you know summer ball at the stadium here and that's where we kind of saw them yeah that's a huge advantage i I'd imagine versus everybody else yeah, it's been it's been a blessing. We're we're definitely fortunate to be out here, but we we take advantage of it. So that's huge. Um, what what type of recruit are you looking for? Like, and I know maybe maybe a better question would be, what stage of the process are you actively looking for players? Right, because I I assume even though that the new college recruiting rules don't impact you guys because it's just for the Division One level, you're probably right. not trying to recruit a sophomore or freshman in high school. So at what point? you you start getting involved in and really start recruiting kids pretty hard yeah so i mean um the local kids like the kids that are from memphis there's really good high school baseball in memphis um we're able to see those guys when they're when they're young we get we get them on you know we, we write them on our boards and just kind of track them for the future just just track their development but uh we really start the uh i guess the the, the contact with those guys um like the scene like i i guess right when your your junior season is, is finishing up Right when summer ball's fixing to get kicked kicked off, we start making uh, contacts with a lot of those kids that we're going to offer. Um, we start the recruiting process here at Southwest a little bit earlier than other junior colleges, especially in our conference, just because of how many players come through the stadium and play. We we have a lot of names on our board, and we want to get right to work with them, you know. So we'll have some contacts with some juniors during their junior spring, but for the most part, you know, we're we're looking to get um, our first round of offers sent out maybe like the end of May, early June with those, uh, rising seniors, I guess. And then for what, you know, caliber of player, what type of player we're looking for, we're looking for guys that this is important to me, the guys that want to be here. Uh, and it may, it may sound kind of stupid, but guys that want to be a part of our program and want to be a part of buying into development and, and, uh, grinding out at the junior college level. And, 
not looking at junior college as a step back, looking as it, looking at it as an opportunity to enhance your career, you know? So we have some really talented players, but like the common theme with all of them, regardless of what talent level they are, when they come in is they're, they're kind of, they're kind of grinders. Like they, they, the personality that they have, they, they're embracing that this is not the end of the recruiting process. They, there's still more to come. And so, um, I like, I mean, personally, I like having left-handed guys. I mean, I was a left-handed pitcher. Our hitting coach is a left-handed hitter. Uh, we have a very left-handed hitting, uh, very, very left-handed heavy lineup. Our, our park kind of plays the left-handed hitters, but, um, you know, I like guys that can run. I like having guys that can hit it over the yellow line, hit some homers. Uh, we like being pretty dynamic offensively. You know, we were hitting 340 as a team this year. We've got over 100 stolen bases, and we're we're second in our league behind Walter State in slugging percentage. So, like, we like to be not not be one-dimensional offensively. And then on the mound, uh, I'm just looking for guys that are going to compete and, and guys that are projectable. We may bring in an arm that's, you know, 84, 86 out of high school and not getting a whole lot of Division One looks at that with that level. But, like, we know there's more in there. And, there's going to be a jump at some point. Just looking for guys to get the multiple pitches for strikes in the strike zone and, and then a projectable there. If you guys played at the same park that Walter State plays at, do you think your slugging percentage would be higher? Oh, a little bit. We played there earlier this year. I mean, they, they think flies out, out man. It, it flies. I mean, and, and, you know, if I was coaching there, I'd probably recruit to that just kind of like they do, you know. So, um, but they do a really good job. They hit home runs wherever they're at. They, they, they obviously home, home runs at home, but. You know, talking to Coach Shelton up there, when, when they go on the road, too, they still hit a bunch of home runs. It's just kind of how they recruit. But, yes, it, it would it would change how we recruit a little bit. And at our park, um, before it was turf, it was 415 to center and 340 down the line. So, it was a, it was a graveyard. Whoa. So, when they put the turf in here, we brought the fences in. It's now 385 and 315 down the line. So, uh, 385 to center and 315 down the line. So, it's it plays a little bit smaller. So, we're starting to recruit some – some guys that can hit some homers because we used to have to recruit a bunch of guys that could just run and play defense because there wasn't going to be any home runs hit. We had to play a speed game. And now we're trying to be more dynamic and have not be so one-dimensional offensively. Yeah, Eric, I think you bring up an interesting point that people don't think about a lot is, is coaches like yourself are recruiting based upon like your environment, like your own field and how your field plays. And you mentioned before, you know, you used to recruit more guys who, you maybe didn't have as much power because of, of how big the field is. And now that's a little bit smaller. You can recruit different types of players. Um, I think that's interesting. And it's nothing, it's something that you don't hear a lot about, but I'd assume that that most schools are doing that at all levels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, for example, I'll, I'll throw out Florida Atlantic. Okay. We have a couple of guys on our team. Like I told you, we're very left-handed uh, oriented in our lineup. We have, we have, you know, pretty much five or six left-handed hitters in our lineup every day. And, and, and FAU, uh, you know, apparently their park it flies to right field there. So they recruit a lot of left-handed hitters. And so uh, you see that across different levels, not only the junior college level, but like division one, division two, NAI, wherever they're at um, kind of recruiting to your park. Cause I mean, at least half your games are going to be at your home field. So you want to make sure you take advantage of, of your, 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 you know, your home field and uh, you know, playing the best of, of, of your team's potential there. How many games do you guys play? So we play, uh, we played 24 this past fall, which is obviously they don't count for the spring or anything like that. They're just all for recruiting experiences really. But uh, in the spring we play 56. So just like the division one side of things, a lot of double headers, a lot more double headers built in. Um, so you're looking at for us from the, you know, basically the first week in September through the middle of May, you're playing like an 80 game schedule. Now 56 of them really count, but playing an 80 game schedule huge for our guys, especially our hitters. They're getting um, a, a number of at-bats over two years and, and getting that college experience, and our arms are getting 
you know, we don't let our, our arms get any, over 25 innings in the fall. Uh, just trying to make sure everybody stays healthy for the spring. But, you know, like I said, an 80 game schedule basically uh, from, from September to May. And uh, it, it's a really cool deal, man. That's another beauty of this level is how many games you're able to play. Oh, from a hitting standpoint, I mean, you, you just you can't replicate those those at bats. I mean, you have to get those at bats to be able to just understand what you're even doing, like what's right and what's not right for you at the plate. You Absolutely. just you need those at bats. You, you can't. And I mean, I work with hitters all the time in the cage and you can do stuff in there, but you just you can't replicate that anywhere else. And so if you go somewhere and you don't play right away, I mean, I don't know how you really develop if you're not playing and getting those live at bats. We always tell our guys too, like as hitters. I mean, we've we've got a bunch of old guys playing in our lineup this year that all played as freshmen last year, and and they're all much more productive this spring than they were last spring. They were kind of physically and mentally tired by the end of last year because it it was the first time they've been through that kind of grind. And then this year they've been significantly better and, and more consistent because they knew they were they, they knew what they were getting themselves into. I think, and and I think we all you know we tell our guys all the time. You can be facing an arm going 70 mile an hour or 100 mile an hour. If you go into that at bat with the right mindset and trying to work on something, you're going to get something out of it. So the more at bats you can get, the better. And that's where this level is huge for for guys that need to get more experience out of high school. Now, do you guys also face some some junior colleges where the competition's really bad too? Yeah, there's been a few schools that maybe don't have as many resources to be able to recruit the caliber of players needed to compete at this level, but they're still trying, you know. But um, we host a lot of tournaments during February, uh, especially we'll host uh, for all four weekends in February at the stadium, utilizing, you know, five or six fields, junior colleges from all over the country. You know, we, um, I think we had a, a combination of the four weekends. I think we had a combination of, of 55 different junior colleges coming here over the, that full four week stretch. And uh, there's some teams that maybe it's not a talent level thing. It's more about like, you know, teams coming down from from northern states that haven't been outside yet. And so they're not quite ready because they just haven't had the reps outside like we have. And so we have a little bit of an advantage there. But um, for the most part, man, like even the even the junior colleges with not very good records, you're going to have one or two arms that can that can beat you if you don't show up. And, and a couple of hitters, you got to pitch around in their lineup. There's good players everywhere. It's just a matter of like who has the most depth, I think. Yeah. So in your opinion, like what's going to take you guys to that that next level to be a top 10 team in the country on a yearly basis? Yeah, I think uh, obviously the, the stadium has helped our recruiting. Um, I think maybe, you know, getting a little bit more depth on our pitching staff. Our, our, our offense is on par with a lot of junior colleges across the board. If you look at our, our numbers in the national ranks, we're, we're ranked in the top 25 for a lot of offensive categories this year. And uh, we've got some high caliber uh, front end arms that we, that we go to. I think the next step for us is getting to where we have like nine or 10 quality arms that can can pitch with anybody and I, and I think if you look at the teams that make it to grand junction every year um how long how, how how strenuous of a tournament that is out there in colorado like those teams have the arms that can uh even their seventh and eighth arms are, are guys that can beat anybody and so that's where the next step for us we're putting a big emphasis on it is, is getting more depth in our pitching staff and uh I think with where we're at with, you know, the showing we have on-field success with the plan that we have here. And then, you know, the recruiting side of things is seeing kids that come through the stadium as well. Like we're able to evaluate a lot of kids. So I think that the combination of those two things and, and looking at uh, what we need to get better with to, to lead into a potential college world series run at some point, it's got to be pitching depth. I think we keep doing what we're doing offensively, but that, that, that's the next step for us to get more depth on the mound. When you're recruiting pitchers, what are they typically throwing in high school before they get to to you? Uh, like what velocity you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I think most of our guys 
have been at least like our righties have been at like 84, 86. And we try to, you know, jump that number to 88 to 90 when they get here their freshman year. Uh, the lefties maybe are like 81, 84 out of high school. We're trying to jump those guys to like 84, 87. You know, it just kind of depends. You know, we really, we really, I don't really have like a set number that I say, hey, this kid's got to throw this philosophy for him to be, for him to be a, a guy for us. If he's finding a way to get outs for us and, um, you know, he's able to keep hitters off balance. I know that what we do here as far as a, a development side of things with our strength training and throwing programs, I know their velocity is going to improve while they're here just making sure that before they even get here, they're, they're kind of a, a two or three pitch mix guy that has a feel for throwing strikes and competing in the zone. What, what kind of stuff do you do from a development standpoint? Yeah. So uh, I played for uh, a guy named Fred Corral. He was my pitching coach at the university of Memphis. Um, he, he's pretty well known across college baseball. Um, the throwing program that we do is something that we did uh, when I played for him. And then, uh, he was really good in the mental game. So just l- learning how, how we're attacking hitters, um, kind of what we, we uh, look for in certain cats we're throwing and, 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 you know, things like that. But as far as the throwing program goes, uh, we, we have implemented uh, some old school stuff with the new school stuff. So uh, as a player with the Padres, like I missed the, the driveline stuff. Like as I was getting out of pro ball, the driveline was really starting to take over. So it missed me as a player. Um, you know, my dad's uh, that the, he was the head coach at Memphis for 18 years. He's the pitching coach at Auburn. Uh, now he's, so I grew up learning a lot of things from him, a little bit more old school stuff. Coach Corral was a lot, a lot of old school stuff. And so, um, a combination of that and taking it. And I like some of the stuff that, that drivelines brought in the game of baseball. Not all of it. I think some of it's, um, can be bad for kids if they're chasing too much velocity too quick and not learning how to pitch. But we try to use the driveline stuff for all of our activation and recovery stuff. And I don't think you can simulate putting a baseball in your hand and competing and, and, and long tossing with that. Um, and you know, so we, we kind of, you have like a hybrid, I guess, uh, old school, new school throwing program that we use. And then, the big thing for us this year I've seen with, with our pitchers is um, the weight room we here we have here on, on site. Um, just trying to make sure we, we stick to a routine and uh, try to put on some good weight in there as well. So I, I, I think that in baseball these days, there's too much of a, of a desire to chase velocity super quick. And you see a lot of injuries. You're seeing Tommy John happen at high school level more than ever. I think that's people are looking for that quick fix. And for us, we try to preach like, the day-to-day grind, it's going to happen over time, but it's not going to happen overnight. If you just stick to your routine and and buy into what we're doing here, over time you're going to see results as far as your strike throwing ability um, and, and your velocity. So, so in a sense, you you need to earn the right to be able to to pitch and and try to increase your velocity. Like you got to earn the right by understanding how to actually pitch first, and once you do that, then we can focus on the velocity. Yeah, and, and what I've seen with our guys, too, with a few guys, and this happened with my career as well, like whenever I really figured out the strike zone, whenever some of our guys here have really started throwing more strikes, their velocity's picked up because you're comfortable just cutting that thing loose at that point, yeah. too. You got to feel for the zone, and you're just competing at that point. You know, some kids, uh, they kind of <clears> – <throat> if they're walking guys, their velocity will actually go down because they'll start trying to guide it and, and just, you know, trying to just find the strike zone any, any way that, at that point. For our some of our guys, they're throwing harder when they're throwing more strikes because they're just more comfortable and they're and they're just trying to be athletic at that point. And uh, that was with my career too. Like I struggled with the strike zone my first couple of years of college, and then once I figured it out and figured out my, my mechanics of what I need to do to be in the strike zone more consistently, I just trusted it and started cutting it loose. And I saw a little jump in my velocity because of that. That's interesting. I, I've actually never heard anybody say that 
that the guys who throw strikes usually throw harder because they're more comfortable. I mean, it makes sense what you're saying there. They're more comfortable. They're not questioning themselves or, or, you know, trying to aim the ball. It, it makes perfect sense, but I just, I haven't heard that before. You mentioned old school that, you know, when you were playing, it was more so old school. What would like, what's an example of, of old school. So you said you, you like to blend the old school and the new school into your own development. Like what would be something that's old school that you still like and, and do with your guys? Yeah, so um, a lot of flat ground work. There's the you know a lot of people want to get on the mound these days or or do drills into a net with weighted balls and things like that, which is fine. Works for some people, but for us, like I really don't think you can replace putting a baseball in your hand and and competing with with to to uh, inside of a strike zone with somebody squatted down in front of you. So, you know, we try to get to throw into a mitt, you know, four times a week. So you got your um, you know, your outing on the mound, your start or your relief outing, whether what, what depending on what role you're in. Uh, you'll have your midweek bullpen. You'll have a, we'll call it a short box where you're on the mound, catch your scoot up to like 50, 54 feet, just getting some work on the mound kind of lightly. And then we have at least one flat ground a week. So that's kind of a, I don't know if that's, if that's considered old school or not, but <clears throat> just get into a catcher's mitt four times a week with somebody squatted down in front of you. And, and you can't, I don't think you can, it can simulate uh, that in, in, with throwing balls into a net or, or using weighted balls. I think, you know, we use the, 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 the plyo balls for activation and recovery, but as far as like, the bulk of your throwing program, it's going to be a lot of delivery drills, uh, a lot of focus on what part of the ball you're throwing when you're going through your throwing program, um, you know, mixing all your pitches to a catcher that's down in front of you when you finish your throwing program, just kind of uh, blending, like I said, the old stuff that, you know, my dad kind of showed me when I was little and I stuff that I learned from Coach Corral growing up and, and playing at Memphis. And then um, some of the new school stuff that I caught to the back half of my years with the Padres, my two years with the Padres. And then, um, some of the stuff I've learned, even just starting coaching, like learning from other coaches and uh, things of that nature. Is your dad still predominantly old school or is he now a little bit more new school too? He's getting more new school. So uh, at Auburn, you know, he's, he's got a lot of resources there. The SEC is, I mean, on different levels. So right. he's got more data and, and video than he's ever had in his life. So he's, he's having to adapt a little bit to it and he's enjoying it. Cause it's a new challenge for him. But um, you know, I, I think that, uh, Definitely at Memphis, more of an old school guy. Just uh, and then getting get to Auburn, having having a different caliber pitcher than we probably had at Memphis, and then a different different caliber brand of technology. You know, they've got I don't know what that what it is that they have exactly, but they're the only uh, team in the country that I think them and Wake Forest are the only two Division One schools that have it. It's some kind of uh, system in place where it tracks videos from every. Uh, pitch you throw from the bullpen, the mount, whatever, maybe it tracks all your spin rate. It gets you wow. know all sorts of stuff at them and wake forest only to have this, this technology. So he's getting, he's getting used to it, man. We got to get that at, uh, at your school at Southwest Tennessee community college. <laughs> well, out of our budget range, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to uh fall ball for you guys, because I, I think in, in, at the division one level, there's rules on how much you can practice, but correct me if I'm wrong at the junior college level, there's no rules. You can, if you want guys to practice six hours a day, they practice six hours a day. Yeah. Um, you know, we go basically August the 10th is the start day. Uh, November 15th is the end date. You can do whatever you want in between those two dates. And and we don't kill our guys. Like, we, we uh, my practices, I like to get a lot done in a short amount of time. So, I try, I try to be as organized as possible going into it. Um, but, you know, we'll practice anywhere from, like, probably an, an average day for us in the fall is going from, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon to about 5.45, 6 o'clock. I go no more than three hours. 
Uh, but there are some schools that will go that, that that carry rosters of 65 guys and they'll they'll practice for six hours a day. Oh. And that's not how we operate. I, I, everything that we do here, I want to simulate <clears throat> getting ready for a Division One, hopefully, experience for these guys. And if you're going through a six hour day, you're going to see some some bodies start breaking down. And uh, so we we try to be efficient with our time and try to maximize our time on the field. Um, but yeah, as far as the rules go, I mean, there's just a start date and an end date, and you can do whatever you want in between those. But we always have at least one off day built into our weeks. A lot of times we'll have two. Um, and then in the fall, we're practicing basically four days a week, we're playing one day on the weekend. We're having a day of what we call skill work, where it's just kind of light work at the field, getting, you know, kind of on their own. And then uh, definitely at least one off day. How many schools would you say carry 50, 60 guys? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know about other conferences, but I know in, in our league, uh, there's 10 schools in our league. I would say – probably at least half of them carry 55, 60 guys. Um, So, you know, to each their own, uh, I I wouldn't be able to organize that the way I wanted to, or spend as much time with these kids individually on and off the field uh, as much as I wanted to, you know, so we cap ours at 35, but the most I've ever carried, it's actually 34 here in five years. And um, I think, that, that that's important to me. I, I want our guys to all, we, we try to create like a family environment here too. And if you have 60 guys on your roster, there's no way you're really, you're really getting to know all your teammates that way. And, uh, because, you know, form that brotherhood that college baseball is kind of all about. So, um, you know, to like I said, to each their own, some, some schools do it and, and they're going to be really, really good every year. Cause you're going to have six or seven shortstops in every year and every, every roster and the best two will play. And that's the same goes for every, every position group. So, there's more room for like recruiting misses at that point. So we try to do our job and be very thorough with our evaluation of our guys we bring in. And the 35 guys that we have here uh, each year at the most, like I want to have the same group of guys from August all the way through May. You know, the only time we ever bring in guys at Christmas break is if we have like an immediate need due to an injury or maybe somebody not making their grades and they're going to be ineligible. Um, Like we brought in, we brought in two guys at Christmas break this year and they played every day for us this spring and uh, they fit right in with our guys too. Like, um, so yeah, there's some schools that carry some football size rosters, but for us, it's, it's 35 the most. Where were those two kids that you brought in in the in December, the winter time? Where were they at prior? Uh, both at the University of Memphis. Okay. So yeah, they just they just came on over there, and then they were friends with all of our guys. They're both local kids. Um, you know, with the coaching change that happened over there, they brought in some of their own players, and um, these guys just kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So they needed somewhere to go get some some experience, and they both been big time plays, players for us so far. Is that common for division for kids to transfer Division One back to JUCO? Like, do you do you see that a lot? More than ever uh, here recently, you know, uh, with with the transfer portal, some kids will hop in that portal, man, and and they'll think they're going to the biggest and best school out there, and it just doesn't happen for them, and they got to go somewhere. So you see that happen, and you know, the the one rule for the the D one to JUCO back to D one is the four two four rule, where um, you go from a four year school Division One the junior college back to a four-year school, you have to get your associate's degree to be eligible for that uh, division one uh, jump again. So, um, you know, that that's kind of where we, we preach to our guys. If they're making that move, like, Hey, that's, that's awesome. Let's take you here with us. But we got to make sure that we, we stay on top of you in the classroom and get your, get your associate's degree. So you're able to hop back into that level when you get down here. Mm, that's interesting, man. Yeah. All these little rules that you got to know. I mean, it's, it, I don't know. It's it seems like you got it down pat, obviously as a head coach, but I, I'm always you know constantly trying to learn them and and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, what what's I'm going to leave the floor to you, Eric. Is there anything else you would want to say 
out there to coaches, players, parents, like the floor is yours to, to wrap this episode up. Um, not really, man. I mean, I, for me, junior college is, 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 was a new thing to me when I took the job here. So I'll, I'll kind of go over that. Like growing up with my dad being who he is, you no, know, before he was at Memphis, he was at Mississippi state and Georgia and Kentucky and some, some big schools. And then he was at Memphis. So I grew up in division one dugout and, you know, played division one baseball. A lot of my high school teammates that pl- played college baseball went straight to straight to division one from there too. So like junior college was very new to me when I got here, I knew I wanted to come back home. And, and coach in my hometown. And I knew this place had potential with the facility we play at and everything, but junior college was new to me. And so I've kind of grown with this place. I got this job when I was 25, I'll be 32 this fall. And uh, I've, I've really grown with this place and learned the ins and outs of this level. And I think one thing I can say is more kids need to take a look at this, this side of things, just because of the the benefits that we've been talking about, like playing an 80 game schedule, uh, no limits on practice time, getting exposure in the fall with recruiting, um, a lot of things. There's a lot of factors going to it. The, the cost of school. I mean, there's just a, a number of reasons why I think more kids need to take a serious, hard look at this level, regardless of where you're at in the country. There's junior colleges everywhere. Uh, take a look at them. And um, I, I think that, you know, looking back, I wish I would have gone to junior college for at least a year. I played, a, played for my dad in college, had a great experience. You know, I threw – uh, 20 innings my freshman year. I ended up being a draft guy at a college. I threw 20 innings my freshman year. If I would have gone to a junior college out of high school, that draft process may have happened a little bit quicker because I'm on the field and getting better, um, you know, quicker. I'm getting thrown into a big role as a freshman probably, you know. So uh, I would I would emphasize making sure that kids really take a hard look at junior college, and that's coming from a guy that never had any experience with it until I coached here. And uh, it's really opened my eyes up for how beneficial this level can be. And I, I think that uh, it's going to continue to get better and better as time goes on. Like this transfer portal has really uh, thrown a wrench in things for the, the Division One side of things, but the junior college level, what's helped us out, man? You look across the board, there's there's good players everywhere now. So take a good hard look at it and do your research on it. And and uh, there's a lot of good programs out there that would love to have some some of these kids that maybe think they're not quite ready for Division One. Junior college is a great spot for you. Awesome, Eric. That was awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We got it again.